if we want to teach our children what to believe about marriage, what to believe about gender, you have to start with Genesis 1 to 11. Mm -hmm. If you want your children to have a true Christian worldview, a true biblical worldview, uh, you don't just pull it out of the air and you can't start from man's word. You can't start from secular books because they have the wrong foundation. You've got to start from God's word and you've got to start with Genesis 1 to 11 because that's the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for all of our doctrine, for everything. Welcome to the Master Books Podcast, where we bring you conversations that will strengthen your biblical worldview and the faith of your family. I'm Jennifer White, publicist at Master Books, a division of New Leaf Publishing Group. As host of this show, I'll be opening the doors to the Master Books family library of books, authors, and curriculum. For over 45 years, our company has been about one thing ink on paper to touch eternity. In a world increasingly at war with God, we are publishing to partner with you to disciple your family, the church, and the nations. Well, hello again and welcome today. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to interview Ken Ham. Ken Ham has been an author with Master Books for so long and has always been focused on the foundational chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11. And we could not be more thrilled to have him talk to you about how those chapters really matter as you are working to homeschool your family under the authority of God's word, why it matters that you teach and believe and live out those truths of those first foundational chapters of the Bible. Ken, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Jennifer. It's uh, great to be with you. Tell everybody about your ministry. Just take a few minutes to tell us about how you got started with Answers in Genesis and what all you've accomplished so far. Well, I was brought up in a Christian home in Australia. I hope I still have that Aussie accent. Well, try to you anyway. You do. Don't want to, don't want to sound like you. But uh, <laughs> I was brought up in a Christian home and with parents that really taught us how to defend the Christian faith. And they were very evangelistic and uh, hated to ever compromise God's word. So they wanted to make sure they never compromised God's word. And so I was brought up in that sort of household and I saw them battling against the liberal theology of the day that was undermining the authority of the word of God. When I became a teacher, uh, one of the first things that happened was students said to me, sir, you're a Christian. How can you believe the Bible when we know it's not true? And when I asked them, why is it not true? they regurgitated what was in their textbooks about evolution and millions of years and so on. And I, I realized the importance of then teaching them correctly about science and teaching them uh, the answers to the skeptical questions to show that science actually confirms the Bible and we can defend our faith. And so I started to do that in, in the public school. Okay. And that had a big impact on their students. And then I found as I was asked to speak in a church and Bible study as a teacher, uh, I found that most people in the church thought you didn't need to believe Genesis. It didn't matter as long as you trusted in Jesus for salvation. Why does it matter what you believe about Genesis? And so I started to teach them the importance of Genesis 1 to 11. It's the foundation for all your doctrine, for the rest of the Bible, for your Christian worldview, for everything, in fact. Mm -hmm. And as I started to do that, people were, were just amazed. It was like a light bulb going on with them. And uh, so then out of that grew the ministry of Answers in Genesis uh, they started in our house in Australia, actually in 1977 is when we officially started an organization. And then 1979, so this dates me a little bit, right? Okay. So 1979, 
I uh, went full-time, left school teaching and went full-time into this ministry. Uh, in the 80s, came over touring uh, the publisher Master Books. Uh, actually asked me to come over and do tours in America because we were selling more of the creation apologetics books in Australia at that time than there were over here. Okay. And so they asked me to come over and tour and give that message on the relevance of Genesis in churches. And then in 1987, I came over to work with Dr. Henry Morris and Dr. Dwayne Gish. Uh, they asked if I'd come and help them in the ministry over here for a few years. And so we did that for seven years. But in 1980 in Australia, I knelt down and with a, uh, one of our board members for the ministry and prayed for a creation museum. Lord, why can't we have a creation museum? Because all the museums I was taking the students to when I was teaching were all from an evolutionist perspective. Okay. And uh, the Lord answered that prayer in 2007 in Kentucky when we opened the creation museum. And then in 2016, we opened uh, the Ark Encounter. And so the Ministry of Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry uh, we do specialize in creation apologetics and general Bible apologetics as well, but uh, equipping people to be able to defend the Christian faith. And we're very evangelistic. And you'll see that when you come to the two attractions that we have, the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum. And uh, it, it's just a ministry that has really exploded. And uh, the message has always stayed true. And we haven't changed our message because the Bible doesn't change. Right. Well, I'm just so thankful that the Lord gave me the opportunity to work for Master Books because in working for them, I learned about the reason Genesis 1 through 11 was so important. I grew up in church my whole life, but was not taught about how evolution didn't match up with the Bible. It was just understood. I went to public school, I went to church, and I loved the Lord, but in today's culture, it really makes a difference whether we believe those foundational chapters and, and the things that we see in the world and our culture point to the fact that so many people don't believe, don't put themselves under the authority of the word of God. And I am so thankful as I've read your books, I, I just am so thankful for the ministry of your parents to you as they lived under the authority of the word and taught you to do that. So I'd love for you to encourage the parents that are listening who really want to honor the Lord and do their very best as parents educating their children, how I just think it's phenomenal how your parents influence mattered and what you've accomplished is on the heels of what they stood for. So talk to the parents that are listening today about their influence well, Jennifer, you know, when people come to the Creation Museum, uh, outside of our auditorium at the Creation Museum, we call it Legacy Hall, uh, we have the Legacy Lobby, and in there we have an exhibit. It's a small exhibit, uh, but it's meant to be a very challenging exhibit. There's an exhibit about my parents, my mother and my father, and has their pictures and has some about something about our history. And there's a glass case there. It has my father's Bible in there, opened at Genesis, and you see all the notes that he's written in there. And also a little Noah's Ark that he built me many, many, many years ago, mm. not knowing that one day uh, we would build a life-size Ark. And what that exhibit is meant to do is to challenge people, what legacy are you leaving your children? Because, you know, the Bible in Proverbs talks about leaving a legacy or an inheritance to our mm -hmm. children's children. A lot of people think of inheritance as a material inheritance, right. but the most important inheritance in that sense is really a spiritual inheritance. You know, my father and mother never had much in the way of material things, 
but the spiritual legacy they passed on to their children that that we passed on to our children who are passing it on to their children mm -hmm. that is the most important because that is of eternal value right. and, you know i as we grew up in, in in our home my father was transferred as a teacher in little places around the state of queensland in australia and if, if we went to his little country town, there was no Sunday school, they would start a Sunday school. Okay. And then they brought in missionaries from, there's a group in Australia called the Open Air Campaigners, and they'd bring in a missionary from them to do programs uh, to reach young people and, and adults. But they had this burden to reach young people with the truth of God's word and the saving gospel. And at the same time, sometimes, you know, there was only one church in the area and the pastor was impacted by liberal theology. So my father studied liberal theology and taught us the answers so we wouldn't be led astray. Wow. Remember the temptation in Genesis 3, did God really say? The first mm -hmm. attack was on the authority of Scripture. And, and my father was so adamant on making sure we stood on the authority of Scripture and never compromised God's word. Because he recognized when you look at the temptation in Genesis 3, 1, and then Genesis 3, 5, you will be as God. That, that our sin nature is that we would rather question the word of God, want to be our own God and believe the word of man. And he was very cognizant of that. My, my mother, uh, of course, supported all of this 100%. Um, she taught us many, many things. I, I'll never forget. I can still hear my mother's words echoing in my mind. It, it's only what's done for Jesus that lasts. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can hear her saying that every day. And something else I, I remember. Uh, when she would always say, God first, others second, yourself last. And I saw them do that. It was always God's first, God first and then others and then themselves last. And they used whatever um, material goods they had, and they didn't have much, to look after their own children and train them up in the ways of the Lord and to be able to support missionaries, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to impact others, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, because... Our parents taught us that. My, my mother even told us, uh, you know, when she was a teenager, she started a Sunday school in a cane farming area. Um, and there were two girls that never went to church, um, little girls, and she had a burden to take them to Sunday school. So she would ride a bicycle one and a half miles to their house, yeah. put one on the handlebars and one on the bar of the bike. Mm -hmm. Then she would ride three miles to this Sunday school she started, teach the Sunday school, then take them back home and then ride back home. And she did that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for months and months uh, until the father, father finally took them to church. And, you know, it was interesting when they're in their 80s and my mother was, um, uh, she was uh, there at, a, at some sort of reunion and she met them. And uh, one of them was really on fire for the Lord. And the other one was said something to her like, I've drifted away a bit, but I'm coming back. And they said it all pointed back to her taking them to Sunday school. So, you know, my, our parents had a tremendous impact on us. And, and, and my father just hated compromise. I remember when a church had a devotional book and that they gave out. And one of the devotions was on the flood. And it was saying Noah's flood was a local flood. Well, mm -hmm. there was smoke and fire coming out of my father's ears on that <laughs> one. And he went to the pastor and, and the elders and said, you know, you should not be handing this out. This is undermining the authority of the word of God. You know, we need to see what God's word says. It was a global flood. It wasn't a local flood. So seeing my father unashamedly stand for God's word, never knowingly wanting to ever compromise God's word and, and their evangelistic heart to reach people with the gospel and teaching us 
answers to the skeptical questions. In other words, he was really teaching us apologetics. He didn't use that term, but that's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. That really had an impact on our lives. And that's the reason I can be in this ministry today. And, you know, when you look at the ministry of Answers and Genesis and all the various outreaches and our attractions, conservatively speaking, we would impact at least directly 30 million people a year or more and indirectly tens of millions more. And as I tell people, that's a legacy of parents who taught their children to stand on the authority of the word of God. And you see, the other thing that really impacted me was really understanding from a young age that the Bible is not just a guidebook to life. The Bible is not just a book of stories. The Bible is not just a book of spiritual things and moral things. This is a revelation from God. And so therefore, our thinking starts there. That's the foundation for mm -hmm. our thinking. And of course, as time went on, I started to understand more and more how Genesis 1 to 11 is actually the foundation for the whole Bible. It's the foundation for all of our doctrine. It's the foundation for our Christian worldview. And if people can understand that, that's really a key. Because when people look today and, and say, how, look, we, we, how do we train up our children in this culture? And we've got all these problems we've got to deal with. We've got to deal with the, the gender problem and the abortion problem and the gay marriage problem and the racism problem. And now we, you know, they're talking about pedophilia and all these is issues. And they're saying, how do, how do we deal with all these problems? Well, well here's the point. Once you understand how to think foundationally, which is the emphasis I bring in all the books that I write, once you understand this, you start to realize something. They're not different problems. They're all the same problem. The problem is they start with man's word, not God's word, which means the solution is the same. If they're all the same problem, well, they all have the same solution. And what is the solution? Um, Many people think, oh, the solution is to teach people about the sanctity of life. And there's only two genders. A marriage is a man and a woman. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. They're not the solution. They're the results of the solution. The solution is that people believe and understand the truth of God's word. And that they are saved for eternity so that they understand as Christians, we build our thinking on God's word. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, in uh, the, the commentary that I wrote was the latest book I wrote. You might recognize. Uh, yes, I've got mine. <laughs> <laughs> the Babel. Uh, it's a commentary on Genesis 1 to 11, a very unique commentary, very different, because it's verse by verse, yet I'm answering the most asked questions I've been asked about Genesis over 40 years and it has a devotional aspect, and it's for the whole family. Mm -hmm. um, so, and one of the books that I wrote recently, too, you'll recognize this one as well. Uh, which is yes. Will They Stand, Parenting Kids to Face the Giants, really has a lot of my personal testimony in there and about my parents and mm -hmm. uh, also our own family and our own children and some of the funny stories and so on. And our eldest daughter has a chapter in there on biblical uh, worldview. But see, many parents today, as, as they're looking at what's happening in our culture and, and looking at the church, they recognize we have a major problem. Because Generation Z and the Millennials, they're down to less than 9% church attendance now. Wow. I mean, nice. you go back to the 1700s, 75 to 80% of Americans went to church. And we've seen a generational loss from the church. Well, why is that? Uh, and much of the church, unfortunately, is not dealing with the root cause of mm -hmm. that. And so for much of the church, they've resorted to more entertainment. Um, and what I mean by that is, don't get me wrong. I love music. We have our own resident music artists at the Ark Encounter. But 
becomes more of a focus on a praise team at the front that's more performance oriented uh, than anything in a shallow teaching of the word. And that hasn't stopped the, the generational loss because they're not dealing with the root cause of what, what really is happening. And what's happened is 85 to 90% of kids from church homes have been sent to the public schools. Now, people need to realize secular doesn't mean neutral. Right, mm -hmm. the Bible says you're either for Christ or against. You're either walking in light or darkness. You're either gather or scatter. In other words, if the education system is not for Christ, it is against. If the textbooks are not for Christ, they are against. Mm -hmm. And even though a Judeo-Christian ethic permeated the culture and the and the pub public schools years ago, that's been ripped out, and so you don't even have that really anymore. And so, what we're seeing now is an education system that's throwing God out, the Bible out, prayer out, creation out. They teach everything is explained by natural processes. Naturalism is atheism. Now, the kids that were going to church, coming to churches, sadly, the majority of our Christian leaders, not all, but the majority, have said, we don't need Genesis. It doesn't matter. You can believe in evolution millions. Of years. You can believe what you taught us. Just trust in Jesus, Johnny. But you see, these young people start to get consistent and realize if this part of the Bible is not true, mm -hmm. then how can you trust the rest? And not only that, as you know, the LGBT uh, movement has an incredible impact on young people and yes. on the culture right now. And if you don't have the right foundation to understand what you should believe, then you can be impacted by that. And you see, if we want to teach our children what to believe about marriage, what to believe about gender, you have to start with Genesis 1 to 11. Mm -hmm. In fact, I do a talk uh, where I say, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. And when I ask you the questions, I want you to give me the answer. But the answer is the same. And I'm going to teach you the answer. Here's the answer. You start with Genesis 1 to 11. And <laughs> then I say, okay, how do we deal with gender? You start with Genesis 1 to 11. How do you deal with marriage? You start with Genesis 1 to 11. How do you deal with racism? You start with Genesis 1 to 11. How do you deal with death, suffering, and disease and a loving God? You start with Genesis 1 to 11. How do you deal with the abortion issue? You start with Genesis 1 to 11. Right. Uh, so people remember that because you think about it. Just take the issue of marriage. If I don't teach my children about marriage, where does marriage come from? Well, God invented marriage, not Joe Biden or the Supreme Court justices, right? Je God invented marriage. Mm -hmm. And he invented marriage when he took dust and made a man, took his side and made a woman. And we're given those details in Genesis chapter 2. And then uh, when God brought the woman to the man, see, you can't add evolution to the Bible because man didn't come from an ape man and woman from an ape woman. Man came from dust, woman from his side. And then what did Adam say when he saw the woman? She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering how to define a woman, you can start right there. Uh, this is 1 through 11. And Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore, this is the reason a man shall leave his father and mother and leave, cleave unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh. In other words, this is the reason for marriage. In other words, that's the creation of marriage right there. Mm -hmm. uh, God created marriage in... Um, Genesis 2 24 when he took man from dust and, and, and woman from his side and so uh, in the New Testament in Matthew 19 when Jesus as the son of God is asked about marriage he says haven't you read 
See, there's the authority of the word. My father used to love those verses where he would always quote, haven't you read? It is written, thus says the Lord. And he would emphasize the authority of the word of God. Mm -hmm. Haven't you read? He who created them at the beginning made them male and female. Jesus quotes the text of Genesis 127, affirming two genders. And then he says, and for this cause shall a man of his father and mother and leave, cleave unto his wife, and there'll be one, one flesh. That's the text of Genesis 2.24. There's Jesus quoting Genesis, the text of Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24 as the foundational history for marriage. That's why marriage is a man and a woman, one man, one woman. And, you know, that's true of all doctrine. You know, in Genesis 1.27, God made man male and female. He made two genders. There's no other options that are given. He made man in his image. Animals aren't made uh, in God's image, only humans. And right from fertilization, we are 100% human made in God's image. You know, there's no new information added into the DNA as our body develops. And as Psalm 139 says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. When God saw our unformed substance, our body was still unformed, yet it was us. Because we are 100% made in God's image right from fertilization, which means abortion is killing a human being right from fertilization. When we understand that God only made two people to start with, Adam and Eve, we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. Uh, we went through the event of the flood when only eight people survived on that ship. They gave rise to more people after the flood, went through an event called the Tower of Babel. God gives different languages, so we have different people groups forming. But biologically, we all go back to Adam and Eve, which means there's only one race. Right. There aren't any different uh, races. And so my, my point is, if you want your children to have a true Christian worldview, a true biblical worldview, uh, you don't just pull it out of the air and you can't start from man's word. You can't start from secular books because they have the wrong foundation. You've got to start from God's word and you've got to start with Genesis 1 to 11 because that's the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for all of our doctrine, for everything. I've, I've even had pastors say, look, don't get into battles about Genesis when you're trying to present the gospel. Just tell them about Jesus. How do you present the gospel without Genesis? Because you go and tell people Jesus died on the cross. Why did he die? Well, 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 why did he die? Well, he died for your sin. Well, why am I a sinner? Well, where's the origin of death? Where's the origin of sin? It's in Genesis 1 to 11. Right. In fact, the origin of all the basic entities of life in the universe is in Genesis 1 to 11. And, and parents need to understand that. I loved that you brought that out so clearly in your book, Gospel Reset, and how this generation doesn't know what sin is because they haven't even, they don't, they don't uh, put themselves under the authority of God or even believe in God. So they don't understand the concept of sin. So the way that we even evangelize today has to have a different um, method than we did when I was growing up, because we knew what sin was and we did respect God. Well, you know, you can even see this playing out. You know, when you, if, you, if you stand back and even look at the defund the police movement and what's happening in America, and, and pe many people are perplexed by this, but think about it, that if you don't believe that man is, well, what does the Bible say? The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, mm -hmm. that our heart is wicked right? Mm -hmm. But if you have this belief, man is basically good, then you think, look, look, um, you know, man is not the problem. Knives are the problem or guns are the problem mm -hmm. or whatever else is out there is the problem. But it's our heart that's the problem, right? right? 
And, you know, it's the same with environmental issues. You know, today you have these politicians saying the environment, basically it, it, it's perfect and it's good and man has messed it up, right? Well, the Bible makes it clear is it's a fallen world. It's mm-hmm. groaning because of our sin. It's not going to be perfect until God makes a new heavens and a new earth. And the flood messed everything up. And there's been climate change ever since the flood. And you, you're always in this fallen world going to have droughts and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes. And some will be worse than the others and, and, and so on. But you see, when you have the wrong idea that, that um, you know, everything's basically good and man is basically good. And you've got to understand the history in Genesis that we are fallen. Sin has affected the world. Sin affects us. Uh, and we've got to make sure that we don't let sin master us. But unless you have that basic understanding, you, you won't figure out what's happening in this world and you won't make the right decisions. Right. Well, I love that we've talked about the impact of parents on the foundation, you know, bringing the foundation of Genesis to their children, the way what we see in your life and 30 million people a year, that just is incredible to think about the influence that your parents' decisions made on what you've been able to accomplish with God as your source, as your foundation, as the power behind your ministry. And what parents who are raising children today, what their children can accomplish because they believed in the foundation. And I love that you covered so many of the dangers of not believing. And and we see that all over the dangers of what's happening. Uh, The danger to me, because people don't believe the danger to anybody's children, because people don't believe, but the power of believing the power of living and making decisions based on the word of God. So I love that this book, I really see this as a legacy book, a book that people, the ladies and gentlemen, the parents that are, are homeschooling their children today can take these foundational chapters. And I love that you put both doctrine and apologetics and devotion all into this book so that it really can be a foundational piece. And I can imagine it with notes from parents and children written in into it and something that they leave to the next generation because their families really took the truth to heart. And this basically is your commentary, right? It is. It's, it's really uh, a commentary uh, on Genesis 1 to 11, but it's incorporating 40 years of being involved in this ministry. Mm-hmm. And and Jennifer, if I can say, look, I, everyone has to answer for their own sins, right? Yes. You can be the best parent in the world. There's no guarantee of salvation just because of that. But God does bless that. But everyone still has to answer for their own sins. But I praise the Lord that, you know, we brought up our five children with that emphasis on apologetics, right from when they were born, we would be even showing them books or pictures of pre, of, of apologetic books uh, dealing with dinosaurs from a mm-hmm. biblical perspective, as well as showing them pictures of accounts in the Bible. Now, so I say accounts, not stories, because yes. stories today means fairy tale. We want them to understand the Bible is a book of history. But we brought them up, filling them with that biblical salt, the truth of God's word, and equipping them, getting them ready for the world they're living in uh, to be able to defend of the Christian faith, knowing what attacks is going to be, what questions they're going to hear, getting them ready for that. That's what we should be doing. We need to be pouring that truth 
of biblical salt. You, know, you can't throw them out to the world to be salt till they have salt. The Bible tells us right. that. If the salt's contaminated, it's good for nothing. Mm-hmm. We need to pour in the salt of biblical truth and equip them ready for this world. And our five kids are all on fire Christians for the Lord and four of them are married and they marry godly spouses. And now they're bringing their children, our 18 grandchildren, up on the foundation of the word of God. Mm-hmm. And our grandchildren, they're like little apologists in themselves. They, they've they been taught these answers and they can defend the Christian faith. And uh, they've grown up with the Ark and the Creation Museum as if it's natural to have a Ark and Creation. I think everyone's got an Ark and a Creation Museum. And I think <laughs> I they would it. just live at the Ark and the Creation Museum. But I, I just want, want to really encourage parents. Look, um, the Creation of Babel book is really uh, a life's work in a, in a sense. I've always wanted to do this commentary on Genesis, but most commentaries <clears throat> can be very technical, mm-hmm. verse by verse. But this, I've made it so the whole family can read it together as a family mm-hmm. and sit down and read it together and I'm answering all those hard questions that we've been asked about Genesis. And as you go through, teach how foundational it is to all doctrine, to the gospel, to the rest of the Bible, and has a devotional em- emphasis as well. So it's a very unique commentary. I think it's a, a wonderful idea for families because one of the things that's happened is many fathers aren't taking on their God-given, God-commanded responsibility to be the spiritual head of their family. So we provide these resources to help you sit down with your family and start going through this as devotions, for instance. Yes. Or you can use it as a textbook for, for your older kids as well and get that foundation. Once they've got that foundation in Genesis 1 to 11 and understand that, it's like a light bulb that comes on because then everything else falls into place. Right. And we even have a morning basket that includes both this book and Will They Stand that parents can use to start their homeschool day with. And, you know, the book Will They Stand in a way, is really the case for Christian education okay. um, and the case for homeschooling because it, it's got personal testimony, but it's also what does the Bible say about raising children? What are the roles of men and women? What does it mean to have a true Christian worldview? What about those who say your kids should be in the public school witnessing to the other kids? Uh, and, and so I, I teach about that in regard to putting that salt in, uncontaminated, preparing them for the world. You know, when our kids are born, they don't know about the Bible or Adam and Eve or the promise of the Savior or the flood or the Tower of Babel or, or the babe in a manger or the cross or the resurrection. They don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure we're teaching them that. And we need to be preparing them for the world that's going to attack the Christian faith. So you can't just throw them out to the world. You've got to prepare them for this world. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, all, that's why God tells us to put on the armor of God. Right. And so that we're ready to go out there and mm-hmm. do battle. And to stand on, in the day of evil. Exactly. This will help them do that. Well, thank you. I just want to honor you for every year, every day you've studied the word of God, every way that you have gone out in faith and done things, great things for God and the way you are preparing the people of this generation and future generations to do the same. Thank you for your ministry. Well, thanks, Jennifer. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you too. Thank you. And we look forward to having you all join us again in the next session. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for joining the Masterbooks podcast. This was fun and we are really glad you were with us. We invite you to check out masterbooks.com. We have a big library of books that will feed the faith of your family. And hey, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.